Hello, welcome along to Inclusion Podcast. I'm so thrilled you're joining us for this Black History Month edition, and we have a special guest for you, none other than Oniekachi Wambu, who is the compiler of the 75th anniversary edition, your anthology, the second of these anthologies, of course, you did one for the 50th, didn't you? Yes. Um, called Windrush. Please have a look. And uh, if you haven't got this, you need to go and get it. So have a look at this book, Windrush. And not only do we have uh, Onyokachi with us, who is the compiler, but we also happen to have one of the uh, contributors, our very own Chantelle Doucette, who, by the way, when I read all these stories, I got to your one at the end and went, this is so different. <laughs> it's so fabulous. It's so brilliant. So super excited to talk to you, Chantal, about your contribution. And uh, perhaps we can get into that in, in a minute. But um, Oniakachi is, uh, has a great history. Um, a journalist, of course, writer, uh, directed television for Channel 4, uh, BBC as well, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you've worked with people like um, Lord John Taylor, I think. Yes. Yeah, who's an old friend of mine, so that's okay. so okay. fun to see that when I read that on your notes. Um, and we're just honestly so thrilled to have you with us. So I want to jump right in, if I may. And uh, I was when I was read the book, apart from that, I was d delighted by it. I cannot begin to tell you how much fun I found this. The Bernadine uh, uh, story at the beginning about the... Uh, I've got the title of it now. Emperor's Babe. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I just thought that is so fantastic. Mm -hmm. But there was something I liked in the Windrush moment, and it just mm -hmm. seems so relevant for me as an inclusion practitioner. There's a, an African proverb that introduces that theme for us. And the African proverb essentially says this, and it's, it's placed so nicely at the front of the, the front of this section. It says, home is not just where you live. It's the place where you belong. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was just priceless because one of the themes that comes very strongly through mm -hmm. the book when you read it is the idea of us as the diaspora, as a people that are kind of homeless at home. And I think that's a really interesting idea. But wh why did you pick that particular proverb as, uh, as, as part of the presentation? Because it struck me as being brilliant. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, <clears throat> the, the book is really about multiple... Uh, migrations, voluntary and involuntary, um, and how people have attempted every time they move to find home, um, to be settled, to be to remake themselves afresh. And um, the way that I structured the book was really a, a little bit in response to the way that Windrush is currently being packaged, um, almost as uh, kind of the Mayflower in return or Columbus's mm. discovery in, in reverse, uh, where it, it's been seen as the first time that people of African descent arrive in the UK. And of course, it's not. It's part of a much longer story of, of um, and some of it very tragic and some mm. of it very painful, of, you know, the involuntary kidnapping and then trafficking of people to the Caribbean as, as in, to be enslaved and, and then later on, um, the emancipation, and then what then happens in that moment, or, or the home of the Caribbean, and then finally in 48, when they come to England, um, looking for fresh opportunities and to remake themselves. Yes. So I, I wanted that proverb to sort of re 
resonate and trigger conversations about home and homelessness. And you, I think you do that brilliantly. And the way the anthology is compiled, I love the four sections, which of course ends futuristically, doesn't it? Where Chantal's contribution sits. So yes, maybe we'll yes. talk about that in a moment. But the other thing I think was interesting that, and it's a curious thing, isn't it? Because you pick up a story like Empire Windrush and you think to yourself, oh yes, you've got the day in 1948, you've got it clear in your mind. You could almost be forgiven uh, for thinking that actually that was Empire May, the Empire Windrush's maiden voyage as well, right? Mm, mm. And then one of the things I found very interesting about the book was how you talk about actually the it, part of it is the story of the ship itself, mm. and of course what is just breathtaking is when mm. you suddenly realise you mean this ship was previously named something else and. Mm. Part of what it was doing was in, a, in battles against the, us in the world in the Second World War, and then there's this extra, the extraordinary Tr- business fer- about ferrying and juice to the outfitch Norwegian mm-hmm. juice to outfitch. I was mm-hmm. thinking, what in the world? But what I found fascinating about it was how its history was steeped in a, a very this dark history. So this battleship, this ship, so this ship that had attacked the British. Then this ship that had shipped Norwegian Jews to their deaths was the same ship. Do you do you describe it in the book as cleansed or something? It was, it, it was it, a very it, I thought it was I thought it was very clever. I thought it was very smart the way yeah, you said that. I mean it, it has to be, I mean, after doing that. Very interesting. Yeah, so, yeah. But yet there was it seemed to me the point you make in the book feel really freighted because it was like and then they bring this Caribbean cargo to the United Kingdom, to the R shores at yeah. Tilbury. Yeah. And of course, the, you know, the, 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 the analogy, of course, we stretch it too far, but that notion of bringing those people, not necessarily into this great freedom, but into something that mm. wasn't quite what it was. Uh, and the resonance with the past and the, very, the good very, ship very, Jesus, very about, you know, 400 years earlier. So, very strong. So, so the idea is just about arrivals and goings and comings and different kinds of cargo and i think it's it's really clever i think the theme is very clever and i love this idea of the how the uh, you've got this notion of all of the um the colonial peoples coming back to center i thought that Mm. was actually very interesting Mm. and then this Mm. what happens when that when 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 that 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 is there but tell us about the because you've got the book's done in four themes essentially isn't it four could you talk to us a little bit about what those are yeah, we, we look at the first theme, which is really um, before Windrush. So it's, it's um, you know, <clears throat> there's a, okay, we, I'm trying to capture how people of African origin and others um, who were part of the empire have seen Britain, seen themselves, and, you know, that whole kind of process of, you know, Trying to understand yes. y- yourself sure. in in that stuff. So the um, the first section is really about um, a whole group of people before um, who arrived from Africa, like Phyllis Wheatley and uh, Equ- Equino, and how they begin to see um, the new world um, and to follow them as they become aware of you know, what they find being objectified, you know, um, going through the slave experience. So we, we, we hear their accounts. Um, um, Phyllis Wheatley deals, deals with it through poetry and, you know, and becomes this unique voice uh, who um, 
at a point where people were saying that Africans were, you know, couldn't think or write, and she was producing this exquisite poetry. So, and then Aquino obviously talks about his journey, and um, so there's that first arrival to to England. This is where, yeah, yeah, which, which um, happens in the middle of the, you know, 18th century. So, um, and he of course arrives on another ship. And then we have Mary Prince, who also arrives again. Um, this time, you know, the slave trade, we say trade, I think we, we need to be careful about language. Um, mm. The slave trafficking had stopped. Um, that institution had, had stopped um, after 1807. Um, but the institution doesn't end until 1833. So you have this strange interregnum where you can't, you're no longer able to transport enslaved people. Um, but um, the enslaved people were still enslaved on the plantations. And so she belongs to a family on the plantation. She describes her life in, her, in this account. And then the fam one of the families that who later on, in, you know, enslave her, decide that they're going to come to the UK. So they bring her along they bring her, don't they? Yeah, as that's an enslaved right. person. And then you get this strange discussion about her status, because of course she arrives here and wants to leave the family as a free person. And, and then they're arguing that she's still their property. And then there's a, a, a case about whether in the UK, you know, you can uh, have enslaved people as, or, or people as property. And so you see that whole idea of how, you know, in the UK, and that law had been, sorry, that case had been tested anyway in the mm. Mansfield case, perhaps 50, 60 years earlier. And, um, you know, the, the ruling was that you can't have enslaved people in the UK. But um, she's going through that again to try and win, win, win her, her rights. And you, you always get that sense of, the laws in the metropole, and then what happens somewhere else, um, and people's status never being quite um, the same between those two places. And of course, here we are in the last 10, 15 years where people arrive with the Windrush scandal, and their status is still not. It's just um, extraordinary. So we, you know, we, we, you just have these repetitions and uh, that happen again and again and again. Um, and and we also see it with the U.S., where, you know, you you can offshore um, a lack of freedom and liberty with Guantanamo Bay. So again, you you have it's these places places on the yeah. islands, where, you know, you can continue holding people in a way that would not be tolerated. Of course, they can't bring those people back onto, you know, the, the, the US mainland because suddenly, you know, herbis corpus and, you know, their rights would, would really kick in, but you can hold them in this garrison in uh, Guantanamo Bay. And Mary Prince essentially moves from the garrison to, <laughs> uh, that, that's to so the main, mainland. That's so brilliant. Yeah. Tell me about, um, with, with this section that Chantal's yeah. contributed to, yeah. um, what were you thinking about with that? I'd be interested to know a little bit about what you wrote, Chantal. Yeah. Um, well, th that was the first section, which is these voices. The yeah. second section, very quickly, was really about once people are on the islands, um, it was about the making 
of the islands and uh, as an economy mm -hmm, and the impact mm -hmm. on people and you know and so we have some brilliant essays from CLR Jones and Yan Karu yeah. about how of that process of industrialization mm. of sugar, sugar economy yes, that was uh, the role of Africans in there and then um, that economy forces people to revolt constantly mm -hmm. and of course the first major successful revolt I mean, there was small, smaller ones, but where the Africans captured the state is obviously the Haitian Revolution. And, and from that moment, you know, um, different kinds and ideas of freedom are possible. And so that, you know, um, that section is called Right in Freedom. But yeah. it's also about the role of writers in that process mm -hmm. of trying to define freedom uh, and African writers um, from the Caribbean, particularly, who have been really... Um, Influential, Emi Cesar, Fanon, you know, C.L.R. James yeah. himself, of course. And so you 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 get those huge philosophers and theoreticians, and then the third section is a Windrush moment. Yeah. And then Chantel's section is really looking at the future. You know, what where are we going to be in another? Sort of, um, you know, hundred years, two hundred years. What what happens to that African? descended voice in all of that um and i was interested in that because what i had noticed in doing that very long overview and journey through that experience um is that you know black populations arrive in the uk african populations arrive in the uk and between two and three generations they just they've disappeared in the past um you know, through intermarriage and sure. you know, yeah, and um, and so I was kind of interested what what happens Very. with with this next uh, cohort of people who have arrived. Chantal, so you, your contributions we said is the future facing. What were you what were you thinking about when you were writing? Um, well, it was great to talk with you, with Onion Ketchy, when we started thinking about this story of utopia, um, and it was really. A comment on where I think we might be with the race conversation mm -hmm. in sort of 75 years time um, and it's interesting what you said about um, you know I guess people sort of dying out and then you get sort of integration and I was thinking about this the other day and I thought actually with so much integration that you probably we probably will just have you know the, the dominance of being sort of mixed ethnicities you know but then you think about well actually hang on a minute people aren't really having more children so it might not be like that in the end it might work a different way but that's a different conversation but you just maybe think about that but I think it all comes into this race conversation and how we're, we are much more um mixed and and I think that's lovely and and I guess the idea was that forgive me it's quite a long <laughs> it's quite a, it's a bit of a strap line but it's essentially about this female identifying biracial woman who is a ghost, who is a time-travelling ghost from the 18th century and goes 75 years into the future from now. And it's about what she's learned on her journey. Oh, nice. Um, travelling through time and she, she can move anywhere because she's a ghost and she has the freedom to do that. And actually, it's a bit of a warning sign because where when I started to really think about this, I felt that we move quite forward in a lot of conversations, but it feels like the race one is the one that it moves a little bit and then it sort of stops where it's kind of like, 
well, we've pushed it as far as it can go and now everyone should sort of be okay with it. It never really feels like it gets real progression. Mm. And I thought, how do we actually solve for this issue of racism? And it, and I, and where I felt, and it's, it's a bit dispiriting, but where I got to it was, I just think it's just too intoxicating for a, a lot of people, enough people for it not to really move forward. I think it's so, such a comfort blanket for some that it just warms them, this need to feel better than somebody because they're not black. That's kind of where I got to in my head with it. And I thought, oh, that's really strange. But it's where I sort of sat with it. And I thought, how do we move this forward? How do we move forward with this? And so I thought the only way we could really do it is if we had to wipe out the memories of it and just restart. Because I just don't... So you did the whole sort of system reset? Yeah. I just didn't feel that we would be able to do that with each other in, in real terms. I felt like we'd have to sort of just kind of reset it. How very interesting. Yeah. How very interesting. Mm. It's fascinating, though, that you talk about the notion of, 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 of that struggle because one of the things that really hooked me when I started reading the book originally was you're in your introduction. There was a, there's a discussion in your introduction. Where you, it's a re recollection, really, and it, it was, it's something that had given you pause where you talk about this interview you've done with a local radio journalist and the BBC, and you've been asked about why you'd written the book, and more particularly, uh, the point I think you make so nicely, and it really provoked me to thought, was uh, as a conspicuously African person, I think it's the language you use, mm. um, why were you writing this book about Windrush? And it was kind of interesting because I kind of read that and thought, when I'd read, saw the book originally, I thought, yeah! Are you writing a book or everything? That's my book, right? And there was there was part of me that was thinking to myself, uh, at, at whatever level, I'm not sure how conscious this level is, but whatever level, there was part of me thinking, yeah, but we're Caribbeans, right? And you, you folks are African. This is not like this is not your thing. Mm -hmm. And I was really taken by that, and I was taken by your sense as I read it. And perhaps you'll get me right on this that you you felt that you need to kind of repair that and restore this sense of this us and theming that has been allowed to creep in, that somehow you're Africans and we're mm. Caribbeans. Mm. And to tell you a very, very brief story, um, I recently did some ancestry work, right? And um, the whole long story, I won't bore you with the reason why I did it, but it's a long story. But the, uh, the thing arrives with my ancestry and I was super excited. And I thought, I know what I'm going to read. I've got this Irish mother, so I'm going to say it's Irish family here. That's great. And then the rest of my ancestors is going to be just Jamaican because I've got a Jamaican father. That's good, fine. So I'm reading through it, and it says uh, mother's ancestry, Northern Europe. And I'm like, yeah, that's good. Uh, hone it in, Ireland. Yeah, all over that. And then father's ancestry, it says Nigerian, Sierra Leone. I'm thinking, hang on, they've obviously got this wrong. I'm a Jamaican. What's going on? And it really struck me for the first time and saying, do you not understand how you people got here? <laughs> Why do you think you're going to have Jamaican on your heritage? You're an African. And it was like, I'm an African. I'm in a child of the 70s. I'm a what now? And it was really, so when, so when I read your book, I thought, oh yeah, this reminds me of something. So please talk to me about that because well, I thought well, that was Well, so of course, uh, the Rastas and others had made that reconnection in the 70s with... Um, with their whole attempts to to reconnect and, course, get, and go home, course. so so um, so that conversation has been going on. It's been going on with Garvey. It's been you know, yeah, there's, yeah, there's been a very 
But yes, I mean, the point is that it was Africans who, who left Africa, who peopled those that. places. So one of the, the things that um, the book is uh, getting me to, to or the, the way I, I frame the book is to now start talking about what I'm calling the African Atlantic. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, and we have been used to, for the last 500 years, the Euro-Atlantic. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, Columbus makes this breakthrough and then everything follows after Columbus. But the, the making of that world was, you know, at least three big civilizations, I would argue, but went into creating this Atlantic space or Euro-Atlantic space. So the, the Europeans did what they did, and then African labor was critical. It's never discussed as being critical. But it's critical, isn't it? But it's critical in culture and everything else. And then obviously the land resources and you know the native peoples of the Americas. So you've got this triangle, of, and, and it was a triangle. Mm. So, but the African end of it, and the Native American end has, has not really been discussed that much. And I think increasingly, increasingly even in popular cultures, you know, the, it's now being much more kind of uh, looked at and you get, you know, the latest uh, Black Panther Wakanda movie is, yeah, essentially, yeah, sure. is essentially that, which is what, how do you deal with, mm. you know, the, the legacies of... Um, enslavement and, uh, and what happens also to the native populations and, and how do you begin to have this conversation with, with um, you know, the European part of that Atlantic. So, so it's, a, you know, for me, it's, if we don't understand it as an African Atlantic, we miss the boat. Equino, Phyllis Wheatley, they leave Africa, Equino arrives in the Caribbean, so he's a Caribbean man. He mm. goes to, he mm. lives in America, so mm. he's an American man, mm. and then he ends up in London. And the only way you really understand him is as a, an African Atlantic personality, I think that's such a nice which idea. is what we all are. I know, such so, a nice sorry. Idea. No, I was going to say, I, I think, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, didn't uh, American Indian, Native Americans, mm. excuse me, Native Americans, did they not end up owning slaves as well? Yeah, a lot. At of, a point, a lot of complicated things happened. Yeah, no, just, in, just in, in the Atlantic. I'm not yeah, saying yeah. that one side yeah. were terrible and all. all. So yeah, no, 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 yeah, just, yeah. So, so like, yeah, so sometimes that happened, but on yeah. the whole, it didn't. Right, okay. Because of the economic structure and the social structure, so um, some. People of African descent also and other people of African descent. I mean, that yeah. it was an economic system. Right, right, right. But we, it, we also know who was at the top of the hierarchy and who constructed that yeah. economic yeah. system. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And that economic system and the power that it's had over the last 500 years over the globe. Um, the interesting thing about all these conversations now is that actually that Atlantic... Um, moment is in decline um, and it's visibly in decline and um, somebody noted that I think it was in 1985 
up until 1985, for about two, 300 years, the, the biggest flows of trade were b between Europe and the Americas. Mm -hmm. And then in 1985, it was between the Americas and, uh, so it was across the Atlantic. So after 85, it was between the Americas and Asia. So it was across the Pacific. Okay, and in the next 10, 15 years, it will be within Asia. So all these bits are going to decline, are declining and yeah, a lot of what we're, all these conflicts we're seeing are as a result of that. We talked um, in the beginning, and I asked you about the belonging piece that I liked so much from that, from the proverb. Um, again, if I may just relate back to inclusion, because mm. it's such a key area for us. We talk a lot about psychological safety, which is a thing we talk about. Um, and of course, then linked to belonging, which is why I liked it so much. Um, how inclusive do you think the UK has become since Windrush? Or maybe particularly since the Windrush scandal, let's do that. It, I mean, it, I've been asked this question every time I've been, uh, out, yeah, I can imagine. I've been out on the road. And it's a, a <laughs> it's a complicated question. I mean, there, there are people in the audience sometimes who say, oh, nothing has happened. Of course. A lot has happened. Uh, you know, we have a, a prime minister of Indian heritage. Yeah. Um, the first minister of Scotland is, is a, a Muslim of Pakistani heritage. So something has happened, um, which would suggest that the society has opened up, that society is more accepted in lots of different ways. But then you also have to read into why all those things are happening. I, I think some of it is... Um, linked to this decline that I'm talking about in, in the West and, and the need that it also has to recalibrate and admit um, to a lot of the forces that have shaped it. Yeah, there's no doubt that, it, you know, Indian resources and, you know, the whole textile industry was moved from India to Manchester. At one mm. point, India mm. was the second largest economy and after it was deindustrialized, it went through, you know, 100, 200 years of, of, um, of decline. Um, and it's only in 48 that it, you know, with, or 47, sorry, with independence, that it begins its rise again. Mm. So there's a lot going on in there, of course, there was the Raj influences, went back and forth, and all of that has fed into um, the changes that we see. So changes have happened. The other example that I also use in terms of change was when the Windrush generation first come over. Um, I think it's in 40, 1959. Um, I think it's 59. Um, there are race riots in Notting Hill. Notting Hill, the murder of... Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And a young man, Kelsa Cochrane, gets mm -hmm. killed. And to this day, nobody's been convicted. That's 59, that's and, right. And then, you know, fast forward to the 1990s, the same thing happens to Stephen Lawrence. Yeah. And then we get the huge Stephen Lawrence inquiry and, and the reforms that follow after that. So, so that gives you an indication of how how sometimes the changes happen, both at a personal level in terms of families and the, the, the marriages that happens at that level of intimacy and then institutionally as well. You know, we have this huge um, inquiry that says the Met 
his institution, the other ACS, all the other institutions start looking at themselves. Um, we all can also see that there's a backlash against that now to, you know, to, um, to say, oh, we solved all the problems and th these things are no longer there. But we can see with the statistics, the disparities are still there. But what others like Tony Sewell are saying is that it's more complex. It's not just black and white. Um, but, you know, things are still not where a lot of people would like it to be. No, and I, mm. I, I think you'd be naive if you thought that, if you didn't recognise the fact that uh, white people benefit from mm. the, you know, the tailwinds mm. of mm. privilege and people of colour are dealing with the mm. headwinds mm. of mm. being of colour. That's mm. just, that seems to me to be reality. Mm. It's interesting you talking about um, the British Prime Minister and the, and the Scottish First Minister, and of course we've also got the London Mayor, you're talking about uh, Asian people that are in very prominent positions. I think, I, I seem to recall someone reading in the book about this notion of reverse colonialism, which mm. I think is one, in one of the, mm. it's been one of the stories. And I was talking to someone about this yesterday, thinking, yes, that, yes, I see that, but that seems to be a, a more of a benefit to Asian people than it is to play black people. I don't mm. see so much of that. In fact, if I was to think about, um, I'd be interested to know your thought on this. I was wondering to myself, would we have had, and I don't wish to be unduly provocative, but would we have had Donald Trump if we didn't have Barack Obama? Is the is the legacy of Barack Obama Donald Trump? I wonder. And that whole. Of course it is. <laughs> it's hard to argue against that, right? No, but, it, it, but but it. But it, it, it is because you you see it in history. I mean, the great thing about doing the book and having this very long, um, what do you call it, perspective on, on, on the presence is that you can see that every time there's a major advance, particularly in, the America, in America, every time there's a major advance, um, there's a massive reaction. It's so, you yeah, know, so, sure. so slavery gets abolished in, in the 1860s in America, that you have reconstruction, this hopeful moment. They're black uh, African-American senators, the congressmen, and, you know, people are talking about, is it 40 acres and a mule and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all of this. And then within five or ten years, the North pulls out of the South and abandons all these people to Jim Crow mm. and the Ku Klux Klan, yep. who terrorized them for the next 80 years. And it's only in the 1950s that we have another civil rights struggle to freedom. So, so... Every time there is that moment of opening, when Barack Obama was elected, I said, well, we're gonna, it's going to come. I didn't know it would take the form of the Tea Party, mm. but I knew it was coming. But it was, it was felt inevitable to me. I, I, yeah. I, I agree. What, do, you, do you see any themes, uh, recurring themes, in, in, in either a, a positive or that's a negative example? Do you see any recurring themes? Well, the recurring themes are, you know, there's a... A growing presence of Africans and others in the UK, and then there's a panic, and then there are calls for them to be deported. So, you know, this That's a thing. begins from you know, mm. the first Elizabeth. Um, although that's sort of a complex story, which I go into, but you see that again and again. And then there's another group um, in the 1780s and 90s where, again, during the War of Independence in America, um, uh, the British got a lot of the African Americans to fight on their side. And of course, when they lost, they had to, 
you know, <laughs> we, we, we have the case again now, uh, remove those people, uh, as we're trying to do from the people in Kabul, who worked on our side. <laughs> Uh, and of course, they, they end up back in London, abandoned on the streets of London, no, you know, no, no resources and everything else. And of course, they, you know, degenerate into this crowd of really poor vagrants, almost vagrants. And then the hue and cry goes up, we need to get them out again. And, and many of them are rounded up and then resettled in Freetown. There's a scheme to do that. So... When the Windrush happens, I'm, you know, I'm not surprised. It's just a pattern that happens again and again. Well, for sure. You wrote a play in that period, didn't you? You wrote a play called uh, Where the Mangoes Grow, didn't you? For, yeah, as a I result did. of Windrush. I did, I did. And it, um, it, it chronicles actually um, the rivers of blood up to uh, speech, up to... Um, Theresa May, Theresa May. No, Amber Rudd, actually, to her position as Home Secretary and actually, yeah, and if I were going to update you now, I'd definitely add the the one about dreaming about sending people to Rwanda. It's interesting to have someone actually who is brown, who is who might make racist blush, you know, with the policies they want to enact. But um, that takes your breath away. It's, it's definitely breathtaking. And it's, it's all about this displacement of this individual who is really just so pleased to be British, you know, and he's Jamaican and he doesn't even associate, he's so disassociated with his own culture and then he receives this letter and it just sends him into disarray. He's mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. he's just so dysregulated, he's so disrupted by it that he doesn't know what to do and it ends really tragically, but it's all through these audio clips that you hear through the different home secretaries talking it's about getting people out of the country and things of that nature. So it's... um. It's very strange to that that being at home but homeless. You know, it's a very it's very very disturbing. You know that 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 sense of that not quite feeling that oh I've I've built a life here, I don't have a connection anywhere else. But actually, at some point, I could be told to leave and go back to where I have no connection to that other place. Mm. You know, it's it's. But but what I liked you know, about CLR Jones and Yankaru and the. Aquino and Mary Prince mm. is that actually, you know, you you have to, there is a constant struggle for mm. for this African Atlantic space. And, and and part of, for me, you know, part of the, the challenge now is how do you get um, us to accept mm. that we co-created this space and then others to accept that as well. I mean, it seems to me that that's... Um, solve some of your challenges about the homelessness because you're not this you're not homeless i mean this is something that, i don't think uh, you are i, I know but, yeah, but this yeah, is yeah. something that, crazy, your, yeah. that your ancestors have <laughs> paid for in blood and treasure yeah. so so, so, so yeah. it, it it's important that you know the claim be kind of made um, mm. for it but also in in that struggle as well i mean i think it's really important to always stress, so one of the biggest ever, according to Professor Hakim Adi, one of the biggest ever movements, political movements in this country, um, was the movement to abolish the slave trade on and slavery. Mm -hmm. You know, and and that was led by progressive whites. And so there's always been, yeah. you know, um, allies in terms of making that 
case, but yeah. the case, I think much more prominently, the case could be made. Um, the, between this volume and the first volume, 98, mm. um, um, you know, in the first volume, there was just this optimism after, because obviously Blair had just been yeah, elected, yeah. and we were all thinking, oh, well, this is over, and everybody thought, oh, you know, Powell was dead and buried, you know? Um, that vision that he had of not being in the EU, yeah, yeah. that vision that he had of uh, a very centralized state, you know, devolution was going to happen, the yeah. Scots, even the Northern, you know, the, the Good Friday deal was yeah. happening. So we were, there was all this stuff, Hong Kong was handed back. So we, we thought, okay, we're kind of finally end of empire and the country is uh, in a different space. And we were all going to be the new people and then here we are 25 years later brexit <laughs> powell's back <laughs> powell's back yeah. really yeah. interesting. dressed as farag really interesting <laughs> listen it's been a joy to, to chat with you and we'll have to end sadly soon but um i i cannot tell you how much i'm enjoying uh, empire windrush as just some of the essays and so mm -hmm. just an absolute joy I'll, I'll know i'll go over them again and again and again because they're wonderful um but let me ask you this what what do you hope? What's your hope for the people that are just coming reading this, and perhaps you know they just maybe first time really delving into this story? What do you what do you hope people will get from it? Well, just that the presence has been longer, um, the contributions deeper, mm. and it's a co-created space. Yeah, that's know? really and, lovely. And isn't people um, kind of need to chill out. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a nice there's a nice point you make on in, in the book and it was that you were talking about you know the notion that's always been sort of the advocate we've had them here at stage there's that lovely moment where you kind of suddenly realize when you read the book again and you realize read about the Cunard heiress for example being on the windbrush and you go oh how did that happen and it's it's so it's interesting she was it? always an ally and you know and she was uh, you know what's the word um her family um, didn't, you know, pushed her out and everything else. But she did a lot of important work in, you know, compiling, you know, African American African history. So there were always allies who were around. But but um, in terms of <laughs> one of the things that I really really kind of hope for it, it it it's about you know that idea of of the struggle, that's really important. But also just for, I guess, people to, um, in your section, just, you know, look at where we need to be going and just be future focused and looking at ways that we can dissolve some of these um, challenges that are there. They obviously are intractable, but, um, or seem to be, but sometimes they're not. Things move quite quickly. And the thing that also gives me hope is that, you know, the East is rising and it, we, we, we have been a, a very important part of how the West was created. You know, the, the ideas of freedom were defined around us or through us. Mm. Um, so if the West has a future, it needs to renegotiate how it deals with its African populations. That feels like a good place to land. Mm -hmm. Okay.
Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Empire Windrush, please make sure you go and get yourself a copy of it. It's a wonderful read. Um, Chantal, thank you. Thank you for your contribution as well. But thank you for making the time to be with us. New generation. New generation. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the really lovely um, interview. Ah, You're very welcome. It's been my privilege. Thank Thank you so much.